You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Hey, welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. It's a beautiful day in November, and we are together with everyone on the show. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we have Jeff Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in Southern South Carolina with a super dope Harley jacket for the the cold winds that he's going to be experiencing on his bike, Damar Pete. How you doing? As always, dressed to the nines with a tie, even though this is an audio-only podcast, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. And joining us with 56K bit internet on his free AOL CD, we have Tim Miller. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas, boys and girls. <laughs> Dude, you are. It looks like you're like censored you're because. You're in a snowstorm right now. It looks now. like you're being interviewed and we can't reveal your identity. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> I was going to say he looks like. I'm going to take a picture like and post it as... the cable channels my parents wouldn't pay for when I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I took a picture and I'm going to post it as, guess who this special guest was? <laughs> special guest. Hey, guys. How was your past week? Well, I, I want, I'm going to start because last week, you know, I jumped in the, uh, the hosting saddle for you. And I totally forgot to mention the story that actually happened. It would have been last week on last week's show. So two weeks ago. But uh, we have, you know, we got a basement. Oh, well, I'm not the only one. We got a basement, and uh, there's a set of stairs that goes down to the basement level from the outside, like an outdoor stairwell. You probably have this too, Frank, right? And uh, so they're like concrete stairs, and they go down to a door that leads into the like the hallway of the basement, and my office is right there. So last week, I'm sitting in my office, right? I hear like feet shuffling, but nobody's knocking on the door. And it's like, there's a sign that says church office right on the door. Please ring bell. If you need assistance, there's a ring doorbell and all that. Nobody knocks on the door. And I'm like, that's weird. So I pull up the ring cameras that are like placed around the church. And I see a person, a woman at the top of this stairwell, like pulling her pants back up. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So then I look in the other camera and there's a minivan parked like kind of out in the middle of the the parking lot, sort of not in a parking spot, but just in the drive. And so I go out the basement door. And as soon as I go out the door, I'm hit with the smell of urine. And there is like a, a big puddle on the stairwell. And I get up to the top of the stairs and I'm like, hey, excuse me. And they see me. The lady, the, the urinator jumps in the car. They peel out of the driveway and like drive off. So that was my exciting story from a couple weeks ago. We had a stairwell squatter and, uh, you know, church was pretty normal, but my week before that was not. So that's a story I forgot to tell last week. I didn't want to forget to tell it because I thought it was pretty great. I called the cops and uh, they were like, what do you want us to do? <laughs> Fill up a bucket of water and dump it on the spot? I mean... Thank you. I ra- it rained a couple days later, so it was good. It's fine, but it was basically a, an annoyance more than anything. But yeah, Sunday was good. We're doing Thanksgiving baskets for the school next to us, and uh, one of our church members, um, we got an alert that some kids needed some coats uh, at the school, and so one of our church members snagged a uh, uh, three coats for this family, and it was really fun to. That's like one of my favorite things to do as far as 
the job goes is like being able to, you know, meet those needs in the community and get those cool emails from the school counselor saying like, Hey, the family really appreciated it and all that. So yeah, we had a good, uh, good Sunday. Numbers were up a little bit. Uh, I had a new guy fill out a connect card, which is always fun. And, uh, we had a bunch of kids. It was like a kid's section in the sanctuary because like all the kids from children's church were all sitting together. So they were a little bit noisy, but they're super cute because they actually pray with us. Now they've gotten to the point where they're used to us like praying in the service. And, uh, so one little boy is the best. He'll always be like, Hey Jesus. And then he'll just start praying. And it's, it's super adorable. I love it. We had our annual dinner of thanks, which is basically Thanksgiving dinner a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. And so we had, you know, 95% of our congregation stay after church, which is always exciting. And then random people that worship at other churches that still wanted to come for lunch. So that was always, always exciting. I didn't preach yesterday, which maybe that just shows my deep, deep humility and that I am knowing it's going to be a very full Sunday. So I'm giving it away to our youth guy, Dylan, or I just didn't look at the calendar far enough in advance when I gave him a Sunday a few months ago, but Dylan preached. So I actually went out to Dallas this week. I went to, to go check out the new and beautiful buildings on campus at Dallas seminary and go to chapel and spend some time with some buddies. And I got to do that this week because Dylan was preaching and it was a great week. Yeah, our pastor, um, he's finishing up a series on generosity because we're doing the big push. Uh, If you've been listening to podcasts, you know, we got cleared to build our building. It's supposed to start getting built in February. They said it will be completed by October. So, um, but we just have to raise between now and the new year, a little over a million dollars. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. So if anyone, you know, wants to, uh, you know, make a check, I could give you a Venmo account. But uh, anyway, so yeah, we did. It was really cool yesterday. We had um, the worship. We had a new girl sing who, you know, I went to youth group with her growing up. We were youth group friends. And then uh, she reached out a few, like a month ago, a month and a half ago. I was like, hey, I'm kind of looking to go to a church. And, you know, you keep coming to my mind. I mean, you live in the area. So and now she's singing um, and she did a wonderful job. So that was really cool. To, to get that this past week was a uh, um you know there's some weeks where you, you sit back and you're like ah, my character grew this past week you know that was this past week for me it was a character growth week i preached a funeral for somebody here in town um which i'll be i'll be honest you ever get done preaching a funeral and you're like i oddly feel really at peace and good right now like that's where i was because it was one of those the guy's life reflected jesus so it was a graveside type deal but uh but yeah, it was it was a little bit of a slow paced, inflective kind of week for me here, just working through my own stuff. So we had baptism Sunday indoors for I think the first time ever at my church on Sunday. We we typically baptize outside, as you guys know. We are in the state of Florida where the sun is always shining, and we have thirty six acres, so we typically like to move outside for those types of things. But for whatever reason. Uh, we said, let's let's try it inside this time. So we did, and it was awesome. I tied it right into the tail end of the sermon. So as we as, as we were closing it out, it was, a, it was a really, really sweet transition, and we had a blast. Man. People were cheering and standing up and screaming, and then, then there was like a lot of crying, like an abnormal amount of crying for a baptism service. 
the the last lady that got baptized. Which, if she, you know Tim, that's saying something. I yeah, mean, there's there, always there's some probably, crying. Yeah, but this was wild. the 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 final baptism, the lady broke down and started like wailing out loud and just screaming out, "Thank you, Jesus, for changing my life!" With tears streaming down her face, and wow. everybody heard it, and they were all crying. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is happening right now?" So and then, as soon so as I like, brought her the- out of the water. The, the worship team jumped into the final song and it was just this really, really super worshipful atmosphere. It was a crazy nice. awesome mm. ending to the service. Tim, I have a I have a practical question based on your Instagram post. Yeah. Slash Facebook Hit post. Me. Uh so I saw it was a, a like an ag tank, right? Like a plastic agriculture tank. Yeah. Or horse feed trough, tank, whatever basically. you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So my question was, I couldn't tell whether the people in the baptism are like kneeling or are they sitting down on their knees because all the, way to the front. Okay, because some people can't go back that far when they're kneeling. So no, I was just wondering, like, the, how the you, final how you gal was short enough just to get in kind of a squat formation, but the other two had to get on their knees. And then when I did the dunk, they kind of just you know they didn't keep their legs bent the whole time. They just went their whole body went back with the with the actual dunking. Okay, all right. How about that for practically pastoring? Good quad stretching. Had to. Yeah, and I, if no I one saw the, the pictures. F- the first step might have been a bit much. I probably should have been on ground level, but we backed the baptistry up too far, and it was too heavy to move once oh, we filled it. So, so you I were was up on the step. Yeah, I yeah. was stuck on the first step. So I had to get wide, so I wore my stretchy pants. So they were, they're a jean material, but they're a nice. flex material from American Eagle, so I could stretch nice. without fear of I any I love ribbage. stretchy pants. Stretchy mm-hmm. pants can be good when you have to stretch. Yes. I also wore stretchy pants because I knew we were eating Thanksgiving dinner after church. <laughs> That's a stretchy waistband. That's different. That's awesome. That's when you go with the joggers, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh I preached this past weekend, so that was unusual for me. Uh actually I did the math because I brought it into my sermon. Um I I will have preached sixteen times in twenty twenty one. And that's more times preaching on the main stage than I did than I have the entire time I've been hired at this church, to, preaching on the main stage. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, but yeah, I I I I don't know what the consequences are yet. But I uh, preached in John 15 where Jesus says, "I you didn't choose me, but I chose you." So I had to preach on the doctrine of election, and that's probably the first time. Probably none of the first time in Epico's history, mm-hmm. but at least the first time in recent memory that we've talked about uh, election. <laughs> and uh, I've been literally every service I preached at, you could hear like a needle drop. Like people were like, what are heresy. you Heresy. <laughs> Wait <laughs> not, a minute. What? <laughs> not necessarily heresy, but they were just like, what is, what? You got, defend this, right? You know, I quoted, I quoted Spurgeon where he said, um, I'm grateful that uh, God chose me for the foundations of the world because he would never chose me after I was born. And that's mm-hmm. a good quote. That's just a fun quote. Hey, um, I have no say. Oh, you said that you baptized in a uh, uh, inside for the first time? Yeah, that's we, right. We, we can only baptize outside for like, you know, within like a, a 10 week, 10 day window here in, in, in Wisconsin. And even then though, the, the Lake Michigan is like freezing cold still. It's still really cold, but we, pr- we, pr- we, uh, we baptize inside. We actually had our baptisms last week and we had a similar moment. What you just described at one of our other campuses where everyone was crying, but uh, it was cool. Like uh, baptizing in a horse trough is, is interesting. But ours is like very long. Like I think it, like you could probably lay flat if you were like, 
under six five. Um, and uh, and yeah, we were baptizing. But the question I, I actually had for you, Tim, is is did you have a heater in the water, or did you like only put hot water in that morning? Like, how did you keep it warm? So was it, we, cold? It, it, it was cold. It was cold. We we heated it on Thursday. Oh, wow. And kept it inside. The temperature didn't drop that much, but when our first participant got in the water, he goes, "That's cold!" And the entire congregation laughed. And <laughs> I was able to make a joke about the cold. It was funny, but I I went home and Amazon heaters after that incident because I was like, I don't I don't want that to happen again. Yeah, those are funny moments. Now be careful with heaters because sometimes when you have listen as as a person at this church who've done a lot of these trough baptisms, there's heaters that like take water into the thing and then siphons it out. But if something happens where the, the thing moves, all the water will shoot outside of the trough and you'll oh. flood your sanctuary. That's happened nope. before. No, um, we have like we have a drop in heater that's just like a it's just a big heating element that hangs on the edge of it. Those are like the good ones. We're like you don't that's, have to worry that's about That's what I was trying to no, find. There's no moving parts. It's send me that, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Those those are those are really good. I, I well, I, I mean it's just one that was here, but I will say you have to also watch out with those ones. Some of them are two twenty. So oh. you would need you would need like a dryer outlet. The one the one that's here now is regular plug. Um, our baptismal is quite a bit bigger than than a trough. I mean, it's a built in baptismal, and it takes like you know if you leave it in there on high for twenty four hours, it warms it up. So you should have no problem with a smaller one. A lot of guys are using the uh, the inflatable um, hot tubs. So I went to pick one up from, from an Walmart. area church, uh, uh, an inflatable baptismal that had the heater in it, and yeah. I got there, and this sweet sweet. Older yeah. gentleman said, yep, it's right over here. And we had this whole you know, thing planned out. We were going to bring in this cool new inflatable baptismal. And we walked his church campus for an hour and a half, and he could not locate it. And I, I felt terrible, and he felt oh, terrible. Man. And <laughs> I was like, well, well, you know, next time, buddy, next time. He was so happy to, to lend it to us, and it just didn't work out. Couldn't find it. You talked about the, the how it's always sunny in Florida, and – you know, up here in Wisconsin, it's getting very, very cold. I saw my fo- first few um, snow flurries over this past week. Um, and one thing I'm looking forward to is that in February, the coldest time of the year here, it's not. I'm not going to be here because I will be in Florida with my friends at the Practically Pastoring Conference. It's going to be nice. And and oh, as Andrew said, I think last episode, uh, you can wear like a light sweater, like a T-shirt sweater, maybe like a sweater in the morning and then uh, – and then a warm up by the afternoon. Do you think I could wear a long sleeve tee? You could even wear jorts by the afternoon if you want to. <laughs> the Ooh, the thing about the thing tea. about the thing about clothing that's like made for w- being warm in February in Florida is its choice. Like you can just you could choose. Do I want to go long sleeve tee? Do I want to go hoodie? Like where Frank lives and a little bit where I live. By the time you get to February, you don't have that choice. It's a jacket <laughs> nope. and a coat for sure. For sure. And like the thing about February up here too is like. Christmas is over. Uh, you get a little bit of like kind of fun stuff for Valentine's Day because people are depressed. But Christmas is over. <laughs> it's still dark at like four thirty or five o'clock in the afternoon. And by February, it is like the gray cold is getting a little bit old mm. by then. So do your churches so you, have those rooms just for coats when you first walk in. We don't have a room, but we do have a we have like a yeah, it's kind of like the, we, the coat rack with the permanent hangers. There are buildings. Mm-hmm. There are church buildings in here that like in town old, that do have that. None, none for of our us, older do. church buildings tend to have yeah. a coat room, but like what we have yeah. is just like a mobile like cart thing that's a coat rack that we just we just bring out during the winter season. So, so what cool churches have is like their mobile merch stand. 
you have as your you can hang your coat up. Yeah, pretty much. Most people just keep it on and just put it on the back of the chair, though. Well, that's like here, here but, in South Carolina. This morning when I woke up, I think it was thirty nine, and now yeah. it's like almost seventy. So like it's such a flux, and like when you are riding a motorcycle, like if you're thirty nine, you're in the you need a leather coat area. That's kind of where you're at. But when it's seventy, you're in the I just need a light hoodie area. So it's it definitely is a huge flux in South Carolina too. I'm we. I don't think Wisconsin is going to experience 70 again till wow. March. So maybe, yeah. maybe, it's maybe in the 40s April. right now outside. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and this is the heat. So that's why the heat of the day right now. So that, that's why we're stoked about the practically pestering conference in Tarpon Springs, Florida, February 21st to the 23rd. You're not going to want to miss it. If you are on the fence, come talk to me. Come talk to one of us. We'd love to give you a promo code. And there will be. A, a decent Black Friday promo code deal. So be on the lookout on Black Friday. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. We'll be putting a, a pretty good deal there. Um, you're not going to want to miss it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some clergy cliff notes. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're back, and we are looking at this article over at the Gospel, uh, not the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today. Um, there's a, the title is called Supreme Court Considers Slippery Slope of Death Penalty Prayer. And so there is a Texas man on death row in um, in Texas, and he was asking for a pastor to, to lay hands on him and pray for him. Um, as he is being executed. I believe he's going to be executed by um, lethal injection. And so there's these conversations about whether this is good or right, or what does it mean? To what extent can they pray in that room? And, and it just kind of, it's a really interesting article I've never considered before. Like I've never thought about, you know, if a person was on death row um, and they asked me to come, would I go? And, I don't know how I would even answer that question. I just looked up ahead of time that Wisconsin, um, it's actually, um, they've abolished um, the death penalty. I'm pretty sure Florida still has it. Oh, Do you guys know? Oh, we, ha- Do you guys know? we hand that bad boy out like candy. We got it. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> we <laughs> have it. That's, um, that's not something to be proud Maryland? of. Florida. I don't know. I'm just I, saying, I didn't, uh, let me look. I, ha- I, I haven't ever really even... I I never knew I didn't look to I and I found out today and I was looking this up as I was reading this that Wisconsin was the very first state in in the United States to yeah abolish, we abolished it in 2013 uh, here so we don't have it either oh so that's pretty recent yeah so so you know I don't want to d- talk about the ethics of the death penalty and and, and all that kind of stuff that's actually probably a, a deeper theological <laughs> conversation for another day but I want to know a your initial thoughts on this article and if you obviously three of you could have the opportunity if like let's say you had a congregant 
murdered someone very, very like in a, an intense way and got convicted. Is opportunity penalty. the word you should be it. using there? You could have the opportunity to have a congregate <laughs> murder someone. Do I really? Wow. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> That's probably not the right word. But if there was a, a member in your church who was on death row and they asked for you to come into the place where he's going to be executed to pray for them, how would you respond? What would you do in that situation? I, I, I would be there. I, I, I don't really have any second thoughts on it. I think if, if someone's requesting prayer and they're in a they're in uh, that type of spot, I, I don't know what I could say where I would like, this is why I'm against praying for this person who's in that position. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't know how you could get out of it if you're a pastor. That, that's what I'm saying. I had a student who, was, who wanted to go to camp one year. It's a very different situation, but he was um, under house arrest. So I had to appear in court and go before the judge on his behalf and ask the judge to lift his house arrest sentence for five days. We could go to summer camp with me. And I didn't have a problem doing that. And he was able to go and he was a, a knucklehead and got himself in trouble at camp, but he still went. If we're supposed to pray for our enemies, well, I think that means and everybody else in between, right? So, I mean, I have no theological issue with that at all. I think one of the things that you have to come to peace with is like, you're you laying your hands on somebody like as the life is leaving them. I think for some people, for some pastors, that may be an emotional thing that they may not be ready for yet. You know what I'm saying? Like to be praying. That can for... happen without the death penalty, though. You could be in a hospital room with somebody. I've oh, absolutely. I, I've been in the room. When... Yeah. But I think, like, it's different. Wouldn't you agree that it's different when you're in a hospital holding your grandma's hand? It, it adds another layer for versus, sure. Yes. You know, the but... state is killing them. So, you know, I think it's a definitely a different thing. But yeah, I think I... being emotionally ready is where I would really need to hang it. The. The issue with this article is whether it's within his First Amendment rights to ask for right for, for this, and the state of Texas's argument is, no, you have a chaplain. So yes, you've become a member of this church since you've been incarcerated, and you've converted to Christianity since you've been incarcerated, but the state provides a, a prison chaplain to meet those needs for you. You're not—it is not— we, it is not uh, trampling on your first amendment right to not let you leave the prison to go to the worship service at that church that you're a member of every Sunday morning. So your chap, the the chaplain is providing that religious instruction for you and that's not trampling on your rights. And on top of that, you are a convicted and confessed murderer. And when you are a convicted and confessed murderer, there are certain rights, constitutional rights that you give up. Guess what? You can't vote anymore. If you're a felon, you right. can't own a gun anymore if you're a felon. There are other Bill of Rights issues that felons surrender based on the fact that they are felons. So how is saying, no, 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 I don't want a chaplain to be there praying with me. I want my pastor to be there with me. Um, I, I don't think that could ever be a First Amendment right issue. And like the state is saying, this seems very much to me like – we are going to do anything and everything we can do to prolong this execution. Yeah, and it came across me like they're that gaming, grasp at. kind of gaming yeah. the system. And they're smart because they're in Texas. He's a member of a Southern Baptist church, which is by far the, lo- the largest uh, denomination in Texas, and is saying, you know, oh, no, no, no. He admits his guilt. He knows he's going to be executed. He wants his pastor to be the person that's there with them because they're trying to get the sympathy of the people who would typically not be sympathetic. And because any smart attorney knows what his audience is, 
they know that in Texas, if you can get the Southern Baptists on your side, you're probably going to get your way. It's interesting, too, because the response of the court was kind of like, basically like, I don't know, this feels fishy and it's a security risk. And I don't know. It's almost like the court wanted to say, I'm I'm not 100% sure what you're up to, but I don't like it. You know, it's like, and then the response of the attorneys was like, well, see, they can't, they can't provide any specific security risks. The whole thing just felt like you're trying to just game the system and prolong, which I get. I mean, I, I understand wanting to prolong that, that process. I mean, but it's not like we're dealing with somebody who's claiming he was wrongfully convicted or didn't admit. I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry. So it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Do you guys have, um, uh, well, let me ask this, this in general questions. Like, have you ever had a congregate go to jail and then like seek pastoral care after that, after the fact? Yep. So what was that? Like, so what was that like? Like, did you just like visit them a couple of times, like in jail or did you, cause I've noticed that there's been like these, like almost like pen pal relationships yeah. that have been created because of like, whether it's a former member, like the, the, the quickest and easiest way for them to communicate with you is, by writing a letter and stuff like that. What is, I, I'm not asking you to go to the nature of like why the person went to jail, but like, what was, what was your pastoral care in that moment? And how did you process that? It was very much the scene in every cop show you've ever seen. At least when he was in, you know, County lockup, you know, the, the glass window between you and you're on one phone, he's on the other phone. And in that moment, it was a, do you need me to call anybody? Do you have commissary money? You know, do you have toothpaste? Do you have what whatever it is that you need? How can we we take care of that for you? And it was a thing where I knew he was guilty and he knew he was guilty, but him being guilty did not make me not his pastor. So that that was the extent of that. And then when he got moved to a state facility, it became way more pen pal. Do you ever get – do any of you guys – because I've noticed this since I moved to this new campus because this new campus, the address of the church, the church that's been here has been here for 50 years. So there's a lot of people who have a relationship with this church, the building rather, than they do with me. And I have probably in the past two years mm-hmm. I've been in this role have received like four or five letters from jails from like across the country, like not even just like Wisconsin, yeah. but like across the country. Other people I do not know. Who are seeking like pastoral care, and 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 so I just question curious of like, have you guys ever experienced that where like you get like a random letter or some maybe even an email? I don't know how that works, but from someone from a jail who you don't have a relationship with, and if so, what do you do with that? I've never gotten one from a jail, but I've gotten a couple letters here from just random people in the community, and I just try to respond to them. I mean, however I see, you know, whatever feels right. So if they send a letter, I send a letter back. And I've exchanged probably back and forth about four times with a guy who was just someone who just wanted someone to pray with him. And he wrote letters. So I wrote letters back. Um, But I've never had a a letter from a jail and I haven't ever had a, I've kind of had a congregant go through this where he didn't end up, he didn't end up in jail, but he ended up in a institutional setting um, because he ended up in a specific kind of, it was like a mental health uh, thing where, um, there was a threat made at a job, and he ended up technically incarcerated, but at a pretty low security institution. And you know, visiting was was interesting because you have to go through a little bit of a process to be able to get in there. And uh, so, so yeah, it's 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 just one of those things that you don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like in our 
in our schooling, Frank, uh, nobody really prepared us for that. So I had it's, to... it's definitely something if like if I ever had a younger intern or a younger pastor to work with, this would be one of those things I'd want to try to cover yeah. and like help them understand. Yeah, I had to testify against somebody in court on behalf mm. of somebody. There was this one girl, she was like 14 at the time. And this guy from the community convinced her that he was her father and convinced her to pack all of her stuff and run away with him. So she packed up all her stuff and snuck out the house and her adopted parents were like, Hey, where's this girl at? And they're like, we don't know. So they went down the road and found her standing down the road with all of her luggage. This guy was about to pick her up. And obviously the cops were called and I had to testify that I'd seen this guy come to church, but didn't know why he was there. And he was kind of like, he came to church pretending just to be a visitor. But what I didn't know is that he had this, this was it, not the church I'm at now, but he had this text message going with her telling, Hey, I'm your father. I've been with your mom and I'll take better care of you and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, yeah, he got arrested and I had to testify against him. And I think it's like, it's pretty scary whenever you know that the words you're about to say are like greatly going to impact someone's life, probably not for the better. Um, but, you know, because they asked me, they're like, you don't have to testify. And I was like, well, I feel I feel kind of morally obligated to at this point. I mean, so, I mean, I had to go on the stand and do that. That's the closest I've ever come to like dealing with actual incarceration at our current location. We have some homeless people and one of them came in and told me that he killed somebody. And it's true. He did. We looked him up. He has a record. And he also said that aliens have already come. It's just right now they're living inside of us. And one day they will choose to make themselves known. I was like, that makes sense. Right. And he always asked for $2 and I think 82 cents. So that's the only other guy I've had to deal with. So now we just kind of have like a, hey, if he's here, we're not really going to answer the door kind of thing. Hey, this was interesting. I, I think like uh, I, I know for myself, there, there's I have a a person who was never like under my care as a as a pastor here at Epicos, but um, they were kind of like um, peers of mine in the sense that they worked in the parachurch organization. Um, and so I kind of knew of them and worked with them a couple of times and then he got arrested and now he's in state. And like, for some, for, for, I, I know why his mother actually is a member of my church and his brother's a member of my, of my church. Um, and I've been able to kind of like care for him because he didn't really have a pastor. And it's just been interesting again, just like you said, nothing that prepared you for this. Cause when I went to the jail for the first time to have that conversation that Andrew had, where you're like, you know, with a glass between you, it's like, it's jarring. It's weird. And then when you're having to write letters and, and I don't know, it's, and, the, and the fact that this guy is not just a Christian, but he was in, he's actually served in ministry, just added another layer of yeah. complexity that I've never had to consider. So with that being said, uh, if you want to read more, the link is in the show notes of this article. Um, and, and if you have any thoughts or questions, feel free to put them in the show notes, uh, the show notes in the Facebook group. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, and, and talk more about how you're serving folks who maybe are in your congregation who are incarcerated and how you pastor them in that sense. Um, we're going to take a quick break. and When we come back, we're going to talk about our uh, main discussion.
We're back. It's uh, we're on the other half of November now, and we are looking uh, closely to December. Uh, and I just want to talk about Christmas very practically. Uh, do you do you have your sermon ready? Do you have your like not sermon ready, but do you have like the outline of what you're going to preach on? Are you going to do anything special? Are you just going to are you going to continue to preach through uh, Songs of Solomon all throughout December and totally disregard Christmas? Like, what are you doing? What are you preaching on? I would love to know also, like, if you're, does your church decorate for Christmas? Like, and whose responsibility is that? I have other questions, but I want to hear that. What are you preaching on? I think we are going to be in John 1 for the four weeks of Advent and kind of walk through all of that. And I don't know what Jeff is doing right now. It looks like he's... I spilled a bottle of water on my Bluetooth keyboard, so I'm sure it's good. We, that's what it looked like was happening. I just didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be in John chapter 1 for the four weeks of Advent. I don't have Christmas Eve figured out quite yet, but the four Sundays of Advent will be John chapter 1. We we beheld his glory, all that good stuff. So we're going to – I'm adapting your Isaiah series. That When did you do that series? Ooh, that we did last year? Last year. I think that's that – yeah, was, I think that's that the one. Last year's. I, I was reading through it and making some notes. I think we're going to use a version of that. And since it's a four-weeker, I'm going to use week four on Christmas Eve. And we'll just it. be kind of a, a See, week that's, behind that's, the traditional Advent calendar. That's another thing that we should talk about that nobody prepares you for in Bible college. Christmas comes every single year. This is my fifth Christmas as the senior pastor, and I am plumb out of new ideas. Yeah, at same what, thing with Easter, what, man. Yeah, at what point can... Yeah, but Easter... Yes, Lent, you know, you, but do you do a, a full Lent right, right, series right. every day? You don't have a series, year? We, we yeah. do a full, a full Advent series every year, and we're to the point where it's, it's about to be rerun season, I think, because uh, coming up with new stuff every year is, is exhausting, and there's only so many passages that you can pull for a Christmas series. Yeah, we're going to do an Advent series. Uh, we've done one every year since I've been here. Again, this, like you, Andrew, this will be my fifth fifth winter, fifth Christmas season. Uh, we're using a resource called, it's from a series called Feasting on the Word, and this is the Advent Companion. So it has a plan like laid out in it, and there's an Old Testament, a gospel, and then uh, like a main theme for each week. So Advent is one of the times of the year where um, we will do more liturgical-ish things like creeds and uh, corporate prayers that have to do with that. I'm trying to figure out Christmas Eve this year because I'll actually be in Florida. Um, I don't think I've even said anything about this on the show, but I'm going to be in Florida because um, we lost my father-in-law in September, and so his service will be uh, during that week in Florida. And so uh, people may remember he was on, I don't know, he was on like a year and a half ago with us and um so he uh went home to be with the lord in september and so we'll be there down in florida for his service the week of christmas so christmas eve is probably going to be some kind of hybrid online um in person i think they're gonna i think one of my elders was interested in doing like a watch party at the church of whatever we put together for online so it'll be some kind of uh thing and one of the fun things we're doing with that is recording some uh songs with our couple of our worship team members to have uh as you know as the music for that online experience so that that'll be kind of a fun project we have like a recording night set up 
where we're kind of just going to use our live streaming equipment to record some stuff and then I'll be able to uh, edit a little bit afterward. But, um, but yeah, I mean, our preaching schedule for Advent is pretty much uh, pretty set every year. And I just, you just have to kind of do your best to pull out the themes. And, and I think it's, you know, I, I learned this as a worship pastor. Um, as a worship pastor, you have to remember that like the songs that you were like, my gosh, I am so sick of singing this song. We've sung it eight bajillion times. There's people in your church who are just like, oh, is this a new song? Like they just barely remember that you're, and I think it's the same thing with these kind of recurring uh, preaching things. Like y- you may feel like I've preached a sermon so many times, but you know, people in your church, even if they've been there every year, they they don't remember your sermons that well. Um, and so you don't have to feel like, gosh, I have to come up with something brand new every year. Honestly, they're kind of expecting it. People get extra nostalgic this time of year too. They kind of want that normal, like good feeling Christmas, Christmas Eve, Advent stuff. So, you know, we're going to do the Advent wreath and the candles and uh, the readings and involve the kids a little bit. So that's kind of our plan for as far as the preaching goes on Sundays during Advent. Yeah, that's kind of what we're doing too. We're we like uh, you mentioned, people are wanting nostalgia, and and we decided as a team that we're going to kind of kind of pitch this Christmas is like what what if Christmas was like how you had it when you were a kid the the, the very expectant you know all the the warm fuzzies of the Christmas experience that you had when you were a child and the nostalgia you have like what if that was like that you know year round and we're just pointing to like that comfort that hope that joy that comes with Christmas is found in Jesus and so that's kind of how we're we're tying it. And I, it sounds like we're kind of all doing very similar things because there's, there's only so much you can do on Christmas. But um, but I, I like that word you said, Jeff. It's in the sense that like, because that's the thing I was thinking about is, you know, how after five, four, after four years, because you could do, you know, all four gospels if you wanted to, I guess, or something like that. Like, what do you do for Christmas? Like, how do you, how do you keep it fresh and keep it new? But you're right. Like, it's like Christmas music. People want to hear the same thing over and over again every year because, it's the best part of the year for people. So that's good. Frank Delmar, will you guys be preaching at all at during Advent? Yeah. Well, that's what I was just about to share. This will be the first time since I've been in ministry. I think at least in the last decade where the Sunday after I'm the, our pastor's preaching and handling it all. So he actually came to me the other day and was like, I realized that you have three kids now and I don't have any in the house. So I'll handle this Christmas. And I was like, wow, like super very much. Thank you. So I feel a little guilty, but I think I'm going, I I do think I'm going to chill with the family just to be honest with you. I did look it up though. If there was a week, I'd want to preach that one because we're doing a series more than a baby. And basically it's just breaking down. Like, what does it really mean for God incarnate, you know? And the 26th is going to be about reconciliation and the mechanics of that. And how does that work? And I think that's really good because so many times churches can be more about, you know, there's this balance between nostalgia and like leaning into the season versus we're going to be fresh and relevant and now. And, you know, I've been at churches for where Christmas week, they're starting a new series on, you know, something totally not related to Christmas. And people are like, <laughs> we, we kind of showed up to hear about baby Jesus becoming, you know, or whatever, but you know, we're talking about, you know, dating relationships. So I think there is that striking the balance. And I really appreciate the fact that it seems like a lot of churches this year 
are leaning back into just the reason that season is even out there. We so I'm preaching in the series. I'm preaching on the 12th of December. Um, I'm actually kicking off the series, but um, I um, I'm not preaching on Christmas Eve. We're actually doing something different this year. We're actually doing a stream for all of our campuses. Usually, like Christmas Eve is live at all of our four campuses, but this year we're doing a stream. And then the Sunday after Christmas Eve, which I have a question for you guys. Um, uh, the Sunday after Christmas Eve, we have the youth pastor preaching. Let me ask you guys this question. Do you feel like um, the Sunday, the, this specific year, because Christmas Day is on a Saturday, the Sunday after Christmas, is that going to be a busy Sunday or is that going to be a light Sunday? What do you think? I think it will be fairly dead. We will have, you know, all of our people here for um, Christmas Eve on Friday night. And so then Sunday morning, we are not expecting a huge crowd. What we're doing is we're doing pancakes and stuff in our fellowship hall. And so we ask a lot of our praise team on Christmas Eve. And so the 26th will just be a very acoustic set, just a couple of people playing and maybe 20, 25 minute sermon with a couple of songs and we'll have our preschool, but none of our elementary stuff offered because we are not expecting a huge crowd on the 26th, but we are expecting food because we eat very well as a church. What about Jeff? uh, The the day after Christmas, I'll probably be at Andrew's church eating pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. Hey, do you you want to preach? Just throw it out there. Absolutely not. But we could do some. We could do. We should do a joint thing where we sit up on tables together and go back and forth and have you know like an emergent conversation. <laughs> our, our youth pastor is preaching awesome. on the twenty sixth. I'm I'm anticipating a lighter service. We we did have church the on the twenty fifth that Sunday a few years back when when Christmas fell on a Sunday, and it was probably about forty percent what it normally is on a Sunday. So I, I imagine it'll be a, just a tad higher than that. Sure. Let's get away from preaching just really practically. Who decorates your church on Christmas? I'm, I'm guessing that all of us have someone decorating the church. Um, who decorates it? Like, is that stuff that like you have saved in a box somewhere in an attic that you have to bring down? When do you, when do you do that? What does it look like for you guys? We, uh, we decorate the week of Thanksgiving each and every year. And it is a big deal at Lakeview Church. We have, uh, I think last year we had eight Christmas trees around the sanctuary, the foyer, in various rooms. Three Christmas trees go right up front, one on stage, one on each side of the stage. All those, I think, are 12-foot trees. We have two nine-foot wreaths we drop from the ceiling on each side of the stage. So it's, it is a, a monster decorating event and we typically don't like having a lot of people there because um well we know where everything goes and the more people there the harder it gets to tell them where to put things so it's usually uh myself my wife and then our home group who does the decorating i think that's what it's going to be this year too so it'll be beautiful and lots of fun we are getting stuff out of the attic here in the next couple of days because after church on sunday is the day for us we've got a bunch of people that leave town the week of Thanksgiving. And so this is the, this is the time to do it. So we'll probably be here until one 30 or two next Sunday after church. And I don't think we'll get everything done, but we'll get the, the worship center done and 
get the advent uh, wreath and candles set up for the rest of the season. And that'll be here in six days. Yeah, we have a, uh, usually it's been a couple, there's two ladies in our church who really kind of oversee it. And they kind of same thing. They have like a little group of people that are just used to doing it with them. Um, we do, we keep everything up in the attic and, uh, myself or one of the other younger able-bodied guys will go up in the attic and grab them down. Uh, over the last few years, I've been trying to like, when I came, the Christmas decorations were kind of on the, uh, the tail end of their lifespan. So every year that I've been here after Christmas, I go and look for clearance stuff and try to build it back up. So we, we generally have two schemes of color. We'll have like a purple uh, scheme, uh, for Advent, which also conveniently is the Ravens, um, which people <laughs> think is the Ravens. And I'm like, no, it's, it, it's a traditional Advent color guys. But then I'm a couple years in, I was like, you know what, if you like the, if you like it for the Ravens, it could be for the Ravens, whatever. But then we also have like a typical red and green, um, you know, decoration, uh, color scheme. So we have a few trees, it's a small building, but we have a few trees, um, I do some things with the poster printer that I have and I make some big banners that go into sanctuary and stuff. But yeah, there's a couple ladies that decorate. They'll probably do it. We try to have it done before the first Sunday of Advent. So it's like we treat Advent like a sermon series. So it's like before that sermon series is hitting, everything is changed over and then it goes back, uh, sometime after Christmas. Um, uh, obviously last year was weird, but, uh, this year, hopefully, I think it won't be so what this coming Sunday, it won't be changed over, but the Sunday after that, it will be changed over. So it's usually sometime after Thanksgiving uh, or during the week before Thanksgiving, we'll get it done so that it's done for Advent. Jeff, you mentioned you're, you're going to be going to Florida to be with family. Um, Andrew and Tim, you guys are both having Christmas Eve services. I mean, all of us are having Christmas Eve services. And I think this is like a, a, a interesting year because Christmas is such a, a time yeah. for family, but like not for church staff. And so how do you balance that for, how do you balance it? Like what, how do you see the week of Christmas? Do you just say, Hey, as a family, we're going to do something afterwards or before, like, what does that look like for you and your family? And, and we you know what other tips you give for someone who's like, you know, first few years of ministry to try to process what Christmas looks like for them. I mean, if I was giving advice to somebody, I would say, this is a great question to ask in an interview. Uh, because what you don't realize is that there's going to be some unspoken expectations and you only have, you, you can only break those unspoken expectations so many times at first. You know, it's like we talk about relational chips. You sort of have to have some chips in the bank before you can um, say, you know what, I'm not going to be there for Christmas Eve. Because it, it might even be written into your job description that, you know, Christmas Eve, Easter, those things are not one of the Sundays that you can take off. You You need to just look at that stuff. But that's the written side of it. Then there's the unwritten side of it. And I think you need, you, you have to have some discernment. You have to feel out your congregation. What are they feeling? I mean, if, you know, if, uh, if you're coming off of some difficult thing and it happens to be Christmas right then, it may not be worth it for you to miss Christmas Eve. Uh, and so, I mean, that's just, just part of being a ministry family. Sometimes of the year, just life is going to be different than other people. Um, but you also have, a schedule, usually if you're, you know, in ministry, you have a little bit more flex in your schedule than other people. So you might be able to uh, not be in the office Monday through Friday of Thanksgiving week, whereas people who have a regular office job are there until Wednesday. So you have to understand that that's just going to be different. Um, you know, this year we're going to be away. We obviously we have uh, a reason of, you know, death in the family is a, is a, is a really 
legitimate reason. And my congregation has never made me feel like I've never felt any of that pressure, but I don't want to get to the place where I sort of wear that welcome out. Cause I think that's a possibility. You, you could get people to the point where they at least feel like you're taking advantage of their, you know, their graciousness to you. So for me, I think it's just building good relationship with your folks and making sure that they know that you love them and you care about them. And you're not doing this because you don't care about them. You're doing this because you have something else you need to, you know, participate in. And I think most people, most Christians who are mature will are pretty understanding. So I've never had an issue at our church, but I will say there's been, I can't remember what it was, but there's been one or two times when somebody who was in my church, who was very trusted said to me, you know, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with this, but if I were you, I would just, I wouldn't miss this Sunday. You know, if you could figure out a way to go to leave after Sunday and go on vacation, whatever, I think that way you wouldn't, you know, use up any more chips than you need to. So I think you got to listen to those voices and a lot of it is just discernment and you just have to kind of feel, uh, prayerfully feel what your congregation is, where they are and how they feel about, you know, you being there or not being there for some specific thing. We're fortunate in that, you know, my wife and I both grew up here where we, where we live as adults. So my parents are in town. She has family in town. Her dad and stepmom moved to Arkansas several years ago, but they kind of understand that we're a, a ministry family. And so we're not traveling a whole lot over Christmas because we work on Christmas Eve. So yeah. um, our, our thing is we were here on Christmas Eve. We closed the office the week between Christmas and New Year's. It's kind of like, hey, some churches give you a 2% bonus. Well, an extra week of non-scheduled paid vacation is a bonus. There you yeah. go. Uh, so it is just expected that our staff, you know, hey, if you have something going on, we, we're going to need songs the Sunday after Christmas. But, you know, praise team, we don't expect you to put in a ton of work that week. We don't expect there to be youth group. You know, there's it's a week off for everybody on staff the week between Christmas and New Year's every year. And we as a family don't leave our house on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve is busy and we're running everywhere. And we say anybody and everybody is welcome to come to us, but we are not going anywhere on Christmas Day. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. The hardest one I find is when you get invited into uh, church members like Christmas stuff. That's the hardest one for me to balance because then you feel like th- there's a like, strange, like, I feel guilty for not going. Is there pressure? Is there not? What? Do, how do I navigate? That's the hardest thing for me. I I've lived away from family for the past like nine years now um, being in ministry. So it's not easy to be with family uh, during, during the holidays being in ministry unless I take off and, and you're like, you're right, Jeff, like at my church, like we have it in our job description, like there's a certain period of like maybe 10 weeks in the fall where you are not allowed to take vacation yeah. or blackout dates. And then there's um, only a certain, and there's a pre, I think it's a strong expectation. It said like in Christmas to be here. And then even then like certain holidays, like Thanksgiving, like, cause we're a staff of um, like over 30 now. And so if you want to be on on Thanksgiving, you have to put that request in like in January, like it's like people rush towards that, you know what I'm saying? And so, so it's hard. Uh, it's a hard conversation, but I think one thing that, you know, I look at Andrew and Tim and like, I know that you guys do fun stuff where 
you know, you'll go to Disney on like non-peak days because of the flexibility of your job. And I think that's something that like once you start having a family and you're in ministry, you start have to start considering what does unusual vacations, unusual family times look like that are not like normally everyone else. And sometimes there's huge advantages to that. Now, the disadvantage is you probably still have to comply with the school district if you're like at a public school or, or even private school. But if you're willing to take your kid out of school for a week, you can have some really fun vacations because your church will let you take a random day in February to, to be off. And speaking of which, here's a random day in February you should be off. February 21st to the 23rd at the Practically Pastoring Conference. You can bring your whole family, but we only want you to come to the conference. Your, your wife can come too. Your spouse can come too. Um, but the kids can get a babysitter. And you can find plenty of those in Florida if you want. But uh, but we are excited about the conference. We're excited about what we're doing in February. And that's the unique privilege of being in ministry. You can take those random weeks off in February to come join us. Hey, uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, it's been a, a joy to have this conversation with you and with my friends. Delmar had to quickly get on his motorcycle and ride away because he has to head off to another meeting. But we want you to join our Facebook group. We want you to follow us on Instagram. And we want you to leave a voicemail. If you go to the show notes, you can ask us a question. If you want more clarification of something we said or you want to ask a question to be brought up on the show, we would love to hear about it. Leave us a voicemail. We'll use your voicemail um, on the show. And uh, and we look forward to, to, to talking to you guys next time. Hey, next week we will not have a show because we will be practicing our family time Thanksgiving week. So Y'all cooking for Thanksgiving anything? Uh, I'm going to be in Florida, so I, I'm, at the, I'm at the mercy of whatever – my wife's parents make and and that might be just like ordering something so we'll find out nice i i, I do a casserole that's pretty delicious what is it <laughs> uh well, it's a true story it's called bob jones casserole in our family because when my parents <laughs> were students at bob jones university they were not allowed to go home for thanksgiving break in the 70s and so they served institutional gross dried out turkey and Stuffing oh. and mashed potatoes, but the one thing that did not suck was this casserole. And so one year, like they came around with little, you know, recipe cards of this casserole for everybody that liked it. And so nice. the wow. it's been a family tradition that we eat this Bob Jones casserole. It's it's basically a green bean casserole with white shoe peg corn and and cheese it's on top. But it's just fun to call oh. it Bob Jones casserole. Cheese it's that sounds good. I thought it was going to be like purple and pink or. Purple and blue no, or no, no, no. That's Pensacola casserole. Oh, you're right. You're right. My bad. I uh, I convinced my family to let me make brisket instead of turkey for uh, Thanksgiving, so I'm pretty excited about that. Just like the pilgrims. Yeah, buddy. But the pilgrims also ate eels during that first Thanksgiving. We should always remember that. This is America, baby. We do what we want. Uh, with that being said, we'll see you next time. My name is Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Passion. We'll see you next time. Bye. Later. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.